okay, we're going to get into uh, tonight's message. It's going to be great. Uh, congrats to the winners of that game. You guys did phenomenal. I was just, it was just incredible. It's just amazing. But um, Okay, we're in week four. Everybody say week four. We're in week four of our series, Hurry Up, Slow Down. And uh, it's been going pretty good. I've been enjoying it myself. Hopefully you've been enjoying it. I know... Dude, that's actually, okay, so Danielle just dropped a water bottle or something, and it, it was rolling down the hill right there. I thought it was Vince. I straight up thought it was Vince. I was like, I was like, dang, that fool just learned how to crawl so fast, you know. I thought she's like chasing him down the way. Anyways, no, he's good. Uh, I don't know where he is, but he's good. Um, is he right there? Oh, somewhere. Anyways, okay, so. Rewind, start over. What's up, everybody? <laughs> uh, we're in week four of Hurry Up, Slow Down. There's five weeks, so next week is going to be the last message. And then we're going to do small groups. And then the week after that, we're going to do invite night, where we're going to invite some friends, uh, get them here. Uh, and it's going to be a blast. It's going to be super fun. And so that will be after convention. And at that point, we'll be gearing up towards summer camp, which will be super, 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 super fun. Um, but tonight, so we've, we've talked about a couple of things. Week one, we kind of just built a case against hurry. And then we've talked about, uh, week two, we talked about silence and solitude, which we had a really great, um, response that week and in practice that week. And then last week we talked about Sabbath. And so this week, uh, we're going to talk about keeping it simple. Everybody say, keep it simple. Anybody ever had your teacher tell you in school the, the KISS acronym? K-I-S-S? Does anybody know what K-I-S-S stands for? Is that what, it, is that what it's supposed to do? No. I, my teacher told me, my teacher might have been rude, but my teacher said it stands for keep it simple, stupid. Okay? So keep it simple, stupid. What? Um, but when it, comes, when it comes to life... And avoiding the busyness and the hurriedness and the anxiety of life and the stress of life, keeping it simple will go a long way. Amen? So we're going to talk about that tonight. So what we're going to do first is we're going to start with a scripture. And uh, we're going to read this together. It's going to pop up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation 3. And uh, we're going to go verse 14 through 22. It's going to be awesome, 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 awesome. Um, or I think it's 15 through something, but anyways, who cares? I'm going to read it. Ready? This is Jesus speaking uh, through a vision to John, and it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. You guys ever heard that before? Oh, you're neither hot or cold, right? Katy Perry. I wish you were either either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Harsh words. Jesus says, be one or the other, hot or cold, and since you're neither, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus is going in. (laughs) 
He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you could see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Basically like a, like a, at the end, hey, it's cool. I'm only yelling at you because I love you, okay? He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Let's pray real quick. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for tonight. God, we pray that your word would come alive to us. Uh, God, that these words would not be mine but yours. Um, and that you would um, reach each and every one of our souls in our hearts tonight and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Okay, so the simple life. Keeping it simple. And the difference here is extravagance versus simplicity. The people who live the most extravagant lives are really stressed out. People who live really, really simple lives are not stressed out. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go live off the grid and and never see anybody again, turn yourself on, whatever, although you'd probably be less stressed. But it's not practical. What I'm saying is that everywhere that we can, if we simplify, we'll be less hurried, less stressed, less busy. Does that make sense? And so there's some practical things that you could do, uh, but I think there's also some spiritual implications of simplifying as well. Amen? So, in this book that I've been reading uh, for the last little while, um, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. In this book, uh, John Mark Comer brings some very interesting insight um, insight to our society. And so, he says kind of some facts here, some things, and I'm just going to read them off and it'll kind of tell us what, where we're heading and where we need to go as a society. Okay, so about a century ago, 100, 150 years back, 90% of Americans, how many, how many? 90% of Americans. So like today, and it wasn't the same number, but today we have 330 million Americans. So 90% of 330 million would be 300 and something crazy, okay? <laughs> Just take 33 million off the back, I think, is how it works. So 297 million, okay? Quick math. Probably was wrong, but I don't care. Um, but that's a lot of people. 90% of Americans were farmers about a century ago. 90%. That would mean... So everybody raise your hand real quick. Raise it nice and high, 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 nice and high. Okay. Now, uh, you five, put your hand down. Just you, just you here. Sarah, you keep it up. So everyone raising their hands. If we were about 150 years ago, your parents would have been farmers. And then these three, your parents probably owned a barbershop in the local drugstore and worked at the post office. I don't know. <laughs> But 90% of Americans were farmers. They lived off the land, and they didn't even need to exchange money very often because they would just exchange goods. They'd go to the market, hey, I'll give you some eggs if you give me some milk. Get that boy some milk, right? Or whatever it is. 
they would just exchange. So it's just, it was a little bit more of a simple life. Today, 2% milk. No, I'm just kidding. 2% work <laughs> in agriculture. So about 100 years ago, it was 90% of Americans worked in agriculture or worked on a farm. Now it's 2%. What spurred this on? There's the, the urbanization and the industrial revolution, which means factories, move to the big city, get jobs in the city, all that kind of stuff. Now most people, 98% of people, have city jobs, urban jobs. And we're a little bit more busy, right? And then other, the other thing that helped move this along was the, the military-industrial complex, as stated by good old Truman. So what happened was the, the big world wars, World War I, World War II, and uh, those happened. Things went crazy. Business was booming. Economics were great because you had to create supplies, create jobs, all this kind of stuff to, to, to uh, win the war. Okay, and you're like, Brett, why are you telling me this? Believe me, it'll make sense in a little while. But once the war's over, you got tank factories. What are you going to do with those? So they turned them into T-shirt factories and car factories and all these other things. So they created a bunch of jobs here in America. So everyone had these factory, these industrial-type jobs. So after the war, big business, politicians, and others conspired, and this isn't conspiracy theory, this is real, it happened, to make the economy one that is focused on consumerism. Consumerism, consuming. You're a consumer when you go and buy products. Does that make sense, everybody? You go and buy products, you consume a product. When you're, when you're um, on Instagram, you're a consumer of a product. Actually, you're really the product, but um, we don't need to go there uh, right now, okay? Or sometimes they call you users, and the, other, the only other time they call you a user is with drugs, so that should tell you kind of the state of that stuff. So anyways, um, so let me read something to you real quick out of this book. Not to scare you, I'm just telling you where we're at. Okay, check this out. One Wall Street banker said this. We must shift America from a needs to a desire culture. Before it was like, I'm, we only need to get what we need. We live off the land, we exchange what we need, families survive. Most important thing is God and family. Now, these up big people who control the economy said we must shift America from a needs to desire needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. Right? We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this was Paul Mazur of the Lemon Brothers. E.S. Caldrick, a pioneer of industrial relations, called it the new economic gospel of consumption. Not how they use the word gospel. And this plan, this evil master plan, whether they knew it was evil or not, it worked. Now we're all consuming. And we all want the newest phone, the newest shoes, the newest clothes, the newest style, 
the newest TVs, the newest whatever. And if we're behind, we feel anxious. Anybody ever felt that before? I remember when I was a kid, I think I've told this story before, but I moved to Vegas. I went to public school. Before that, I was in private school. And so private school is cool. You all wore the same uniform anyway, so it didn't really matter. But I went to a public school, and everyone's like, got their style, and I was like, whoa, what's going on? So I'm rolling up with, like, plaid shorts and a t-shirt and and some of those, like, strap-on shoes, and everyone's like, dog, you're kind of weird, and I was like, you know what, you're right. So I asked my mom, mom, can I get me some of them skater shoes? I said, I need them skater shoes, you know, the ones with the big fat tongue on them. I was like, just give me those things, the ones that flop off your feet when you're walking. Yeah, give me those. So she comes back, got you, comes back with a pair of Skechers. Mom, um, yeah, so these aren't exactly what I was looking for, and I'm probably going to get made fun of worse with these sketchers. at least before I was owning the nerd loser look, but now I'm just kind of like a poser cool kid. I'm like in the middle. The nerds hate me, and the cool kids hate me. I don't know where to go now, right? So thanks, Mom. You ruined my life. No, I'm just kidding, but... Anybody ever felt like that? Like, I got to get the next coolest thing so that I could fit in, so that I could be cool. I had, so iPhones came out in like 2007, 2008 or something like that. I graduated high school in 2014. I had a a Nokia, and then I had this phone that like, you know, the one that slid up with the full keyboard? Looked like a little bubble. I had that till I was like 19. I was texting Danielle on that thing. What's up, honey? You know, she's like, dude, you're such a loser. Anyways, but, and I was always like, oh, I wish I had an iPhone. Because this is lame. Everyone can send pictures. I can't send pictures. Because my phone wasn't like that. I didn't have a smartphone. It was just texting and calling people. But that's how life is now. We always want the next best thing. You get a laptop, and three years later, you're like, oh, it's so outdated. Ugh. I need the new laptop. Right, you get a brand new TV, and four years later, oh, this TV is so, the picture's not very good on it anymore. <laughs> got to get a new TV. People are like, who needs a TV? I got a 4K projector in my living room, right? It's like, it's always the next best thing. You buy, you buy a new car, a new truck, new whatever. You're like, man, that thing's sick. And then two years later, they come out with a new model. Dang. It's not cool anymore. It'll be cool in 25 years when everyone thinks it's nostalgic. But for right now, it's lame. That's why I just buy like the 20, 15, 20-year-old cars and I just wait a while and they'll be cool again. That was a joke. Just kidding. Okay. But even our, in, in, in America, even our commercials changed. So back in the day, I wasn't there really, but uh, Jeff might have been. So <laughs> don't want to, hey, he raised his hand. It's true. You guys calm down, all right? Um, but commercials used to tell you just simply that the product was good and why it was good. That's it. This vacuum sucks. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. But <laughs> they would tell you that, you know, this blender is so good because it could blend even the hardest of fruits without even peeling them or whatever. I don't know. It's like. This is really good because it does this. That's how commercials used to be. Now, it's like, this blender is so good because it'll change your life. And you'll live a healthier lifestyle and you'll get to know your kids for longer. And everyone's like, "Uh, I need it. Right? It's no longer that. This product is good, so you should buy it. This product will 
make you lose 100 pounds in a year. You're like, what? No way. It'll change your life. This TV remote, this universal TV remote, will save you 10 years of your life from click chip. You're like, what? No way. Right? That's how commercials are right now. It's super unrealistic. These fruit snacks, right, make your child happier. They make your child sleep longer. And so buy these fruit snacks so that you're a better parent, right? It's not, it's not like these fruit snacks taste good. You should buy them, right? Like before, it was like Coca-Cola. Their commercials were, drink Coca-Cola. It'll give you energy. That was it. Now it's like, go buy this Coke with your friend's name on it from the gas station and find your friend and give it to him as a gift because life is too short. And you're like, oh, I should. I should do that. But commercials changed from simply providing what you needed to now everything is life-changing. What's the point there? Everybody wants you to buy what they're selling. Consumerism, this is my own thoughts, but I think consumerism is potentially more dangerous than even atheism to Christianity. Because if I'm a Christian, I know not to be an atheist. It's just kind of straightforward because I believe in God. Atheism means I don't believe in God. So it's really easy to not be an atheist if I'm a Christian. But most Christians are consumers. And so it, the lines get blended. Remember a couple weeks ago I told you if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And it even bleeds into our call, the call in our life. Instead of prayer, we want a platform. Instead of humility, we want fame. Right? I see people say this all the time. It's like, oh, I, I, was, I was born to be on the stage. Well, what's, what, sta- what, do you mean? what do you mean? What stage? No, you weren't. Sorry, you just weren't. I was born to be on TV. I don't know. (laughs) I think you were born to glorify God. And if being on TV glorifies God with what you're doing, then sure. If if being on stage glorifies God with what you're doing, sure. But the number one, we've got it reversed. It's like I'm supposed to do this, so then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to say I'm a Christian while I'm doing it, and that's glorifying God. Instead of the whole purpose of my life is to glorify God, and God called me to this stage. Instead of to God be the glory, we often say to me be the glory. Right? People, I'm going to roast my own people. Right? Worship leaders. We feel called to perform instead of a call to follow or a call to just worship. I've seen that a lot recently too. I'm just called to be a performer. And I use it for the Lord. No. You're called to be a worshiper. You're, call, you're called... To glorify God. And guess what? He gave you a gift of an incredible singing voice. Or he gave you the gift of playing an instrument, which is amazing. But it's not amazing unless the sole purpose of you using that gift is to glorify God. Amen? Or pastors. Oh, I'm going after pastors. Don't put this on YouTube. I'm just kidding. Pastors feel a call to a global impact uh, instead of a local shepherding of sheep. I don't see anywhere in the Bible 
where pastors of a local church are supposed to have a global impact. The gospel is supposed to have a global impact. Jesus is supposed to have a global impact, but not necessarily us. Sometimes we'll have a global impact without even trying. Like Mother Teresa, she wasn't like, I'm going to be famous one day. <laughs> like she just was a good person, right? Or even Jesus, he just walked around with 12 of his homies and just healed people and loved on people. And then we still talk about him today and he died on the cross for our sins. It's pretty awesome. But we get, we get it wrong, right? If you're ever doing what God's called you to do because you think you might be famous one day, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, right? Which is really hard today in today's like influencer world, YouTuber world. It's like, if I could just get that much influence, I could be so cool. It's a hard pull. Anybody ever felt like that? I have. But here's the thing. It's God's plan, not ours, right? It's about his kingdom, not my kingdom. It's about souls saved, not products sold. And when we get it backwards, we get distracted, we get hurried, and we get anxious. Not to say that you can't sell a product for your job. Pastor Jeff sells products for his job. But his life's purpose is not to sell products. Right? Paul the Apostle fixed tents. That wasn't the purpose of his life. You don't even really know that about him. (laughs) But he did it to pay the bills. And then the other things he did was what glorified Jesus was a carpenter. Or some believe a stonemason. Whatever. Don't care. Anyways, he had a job. Did that to pay the bills, and he did what God called him to do. Sometimes they, co- they intermingle, like me. I'm a, I'm a pastor, so my job is my calling. <laughs> but I don't get it flipped around. This is my calling first, not my job first. If tomorrow they told me, Brett, we can't afford to pay you anymore, I'd be like, cool, all right, see you Wednesday, see you Sunday. I'd still be here. It'd be a lot harder. I'd need a lot more help, but... <laughs> But I still do it. Why? Because I'm called to do it. Amen? So this kind of consumerism thing gets in the way of our call. I've seen so many pastors leave a church or leave a place because the job wasn't working out. The pay wasn't really all that good. And and I get it. We want to be treated well and respected. But at the same time, are we really going to let a paycheck get in the way of our purpose? Right? Or our calling? When we get it backwards, we get distracted and hurried. So let's go back to that original scripture, Revelation, and we're going to explain some things. We'll just throw it up on the screen, and then I'm going to point some things out. One of my professors at Vanguard, Dr. Bill Doctrum, is amazing. I don't think he's watching this, but if you are, I love you. Um, he talked about this in class the last couple of weeks, and so I'm, I'm just using the knowledge that I've learned from him and that he's learned from others. This isn't my original thought. It's not his. It's a collection of theologians and historians over many uh, years that built this kind of idea, okay? So, number one, the number one thing to know about this. So, 
as you see, God kind of makes fun of them for thinking that they're rich, and he calls them pitiful and naked and, and, and stuff because Jesus is funny like that. But um, what does he go then to say after that? He talks about gold. He talks about white clothes. And he talks about this thing called salve. And so background real quick. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense once we get to the end of it. So this is a letter to the church of Laodicea. Everybody say Laodicea. Perfect. You guys are theologians. This is awesome. Okay, so in Laodicea, they, were, they had a booming economy. They were way ahead of their time, top-notch consumers, okay? So what they did, they had three things that were economically booming in their society. You could probably guess what the three things are. Gold, white garments, and salve, okay? So they figured out a way to purify gold to its purest form. Laodicea had the dopest gold around, 24 karat. Bruno Mars was up in that business, okay? So they had this gold that was dope, and they sold it, and it was profitable, okay? Then they had, and so Jesus says, actually, get your gold from me, okay? And then they had this, in these mines that they had, they found this chemical that would bleach uh, garments to the whitest they ever, and back then it was hard because you, you like today it's really easy to get a white t-shirt. I don't have one on, but whatever. Um, back then you would, have, you would have to make your clothing out of wool or, or uh, whatever else it was, so it would come out kind of yellowy and stuff. And you would have to bleach it all the way white, okay? So the better the bleach, the more white the clothes. And the more white the clothes, clothes were used for ceremonial things, weddings, priests, all that kind of stuff. So they had the dopest bleach, all right? And uh, so they were making money. And they also had this thing, uh, this salve that would go on your eyes. It would heal glaucoma and, like, cataracts and things like that. So they had all this stuff. They were selling it. Laodicea was rolling in the dough, okay? So what does Jesus say? Buy your gold from me, get your white garments from me, and get your salve from me. What is he saying here? He's saying your, your, your priorities aren't straight. He's saying the things that you think that are most important in your life aren't actually giving you what they think they're, they're giving you. It's like when he said to the woman at the well, I've got water that you'll never thirst again from. Did he actually have real water? No, but he did have living water. So this, this is what he's saying here. I've got gold. I've got garments. I've got this. That's better than what you've got. Number two, he says, you are lukewarm. He says, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. And because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Okay, so real quick, check this out. So he's talking about all the things that they're selling. Now, in Laodicea, there was, Laodicea was backed up kind of against this mountain. On one side of the mountain, there was spring water. Uh, miracle spring water. I'm just kidding. I don't know. It's just natural spring water. You ever been up by like a river and the water's cold and super clear? Okay, so people go up there and they drink this water because it's like phenomenal. So Laodicea, because they're like business tycoons, what do they do? They funnel the water down to the center of the town. We're going to sell this spring water. But what happens when you funnel mountain spring water to the city? It's not cold anymore. On the other side of the mountain, there's hot springs. Anybody ever been to a hot springs? It's like a hot tub, natural hot tub. It's dope. It's awesome. So people go up there, chill, big belly and stuff, whatever. And it was therapeutic. So they said, dope, we can make money out of that. So they, they water ducked this uh, hot springs water all the way down to the center of town. But what happens when you funnel hot springs water all the way to the center of town? 
it's not hot anymore. So Jesus here is kind of making fun of their economic aspirations. He's saying you're neither hot nor cold. It's just lukewarm. And what happens, what, what's one of the ingredients that makes the spring water so hot? Sulfur. What happens when you drink sulfur? You vomit. So Jesus is saying, I actually would prefer you to be cold because then you'd be refreshing. And, or I'd prefer you to be hot because then you'd be therapeutic. But you keep trying to be what you're not and you keep trying to use my gifts to make money. And in your attempts to make money off of the gifts I've given you, you turn to lukewarm. And the only thing lukewarm water is good for is drinking. But it's filled with sulfur, so I'm puking you out of my mouth. Jesus is saying that either is good, hot or cold, but you try to do something for your own glory and your own benefit, and you become nasty or lukewarm. You try to be what you're not, or you follow somebody else's calling, and you're lukewarm. You try to use your gifts for your own glory, and you become lukewarm. So what does this mean? In verse 20, we go to the next page. And he says, here I am. Everybody say, here I am. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. Why is Jesus knocking at the door of their church? Because they're distracted by consumerism. They're distracted, and it sounds familiar to today. We were like, we come to youth group, we come to church, we're so excited. I know this is, this is deep stuff, but what I'm saying is, in today's culture, it's really, really easy for us to get distracted. It really is. And then we find ourselves hurried, busy, stressed out, and of course, anxious. And without Jesus. Because we've used all these things, and instead of, instead of going about our life in a simple way... With the gifts that God has given us, using them for his glory, we try to monetize everything. Anytime you have a gift, now someone's like, man, you should make a YouTube channel and make money off of it. See, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing, but that shouldn't be our first thought every time we're good at something. Maybe your first, your first thought should be, man, I've got a gift. What's God up to in this gift? Why did he give me this gift? How can I use it for him? And then maybe you can make a job out of it. We, ju we just have it backwards. And when you have it backwards, you end up closing the door on Jesus. They're having church without Jesus. And he's knocking on the door. Anybody want to let me in? If you ever do, I'll have, I'll have dinner with you. <laughs> and that's how we are oftentimes. We're doing everything. We're doing everything. It's awesome. Uh, I got five minutes for Jesus. Uh, do I really? Uh, I'm going on Wednesday. It's fine. Whatever. Blah, 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 blah. And then we want everything. We want to preach. We want to lead worship. We want to be on stage. We want the, the Instagram to post about us. We want all this kind of stuff without putting in the hard work. You don't get the tree unless you plant the seed. And people want the tree without watering a seed. It's just how life is right now. But you can't skip the steps. You got to put the hard work in.
the good life is the one that follows Jesus at his pace, with his truth, what he tells us to do, how he teaches, because he's God. And it's not up for debate. What Jesus says goes. It just does. Sometimes I don't like what Jesus says. Jesus tells me that it's, it's impossible to get into the kingdom of God if I'm rich. I don't like that. He also says all things are possible with God. <laughs> so there's a way, but the only way is with who? God. So rich without God don't work. Does that make sense? So to fight hurry, which leads to anxiety, we must simplify and prioritize our lives. Be who God called you to be and no one else. You don't have to be everything to everyone. Be who God called you to be and nothing else. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. I'm going to read this and then I'm done. Jesus is preaching. Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's good. If you will, read these words and, and really try to, try to get the concept of what Jesus is saying here. I can preach a message, but I guarantee you Jesus preaches better than I do. So listen to this. These are his words. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow, yet they do not labor or spin. Yeah, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans or non-Christians... Run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That's a pretty good message from Jesus. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Today's got enough trouble <laughs> of its own. Anybody ever felt like that? Like, hey, today's got enough going on. <laughs> I just need to focus on today. But here's the thing. We're talking about prior reprioritizing our life. We're talking about putting things back in order. Jesus talks about two things in this sermon. He talks about birds and he talks about flowers or grass. And how he clothes the flowers and he feeds the birds. And those two things, a flower has a pretty simple life. Sunlight and water. <laughs> that's it and a bird has a pretty simple life worms and flying around and they don't worry about anything because they they know that God's going to take care of them I'm not saying that we should eat worms or try and fly by <laughs> jumping off the building or something but what I am saying is the more that we simplify our lives 
the easier it is to trust God, the easier it is to be less anxious. And not to say that you have to be poor. You can live a good life, but you just live simpler. It's not about everything going on in the world, being everything to everybody, and you don't have to have six side hustles to make it in this life. Amen? And the number one thing is priority. Jesus says, seek first, not seek second or third or fourth, or, hey, remember not to forget about the kingdom. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So we just need to get our priorities straight. Amen? So the simplified life is simply Jesus first, everything else will come. Okay? So don't get ahead of yourself. Don't try and get everything else and then put Jesus into the equation. Jesus is the equation. And, and from that equals life. Amen? Let's stand up. Let's pray together. And then we're going to celebrate birthdays. We love you. You guys are awesome. Jesus comes first. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, uh, God, that you speak to us, that you lead us, you guide us, that you're good to us, that you give us scripture in the Bible that leads us in times 2,000 years later, and it's still relevant, and it's still alive, and it's still worthy of reading and understanding. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. God, you're so good to us. Help us to reprioritize our lives to simply seek after you and everything else will follow. Let us not try to be anybody else but who you called us to be. And let us not use our gifts and talents for anything other than your glory. So we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.